Good morning, good day, or good evening. My name is Eli Rowe, and this is the Middle-Aged Witch Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to December. How, how are we feeling about this? Can we just agree that this has happened really fast? I know, like somehow, once again, I feel like I'm caught with my pants down, even though I've had 11 months to get here, but I just, I feel like I was warped here from September, but whatever, I, enough excuses. I got to just get my game face on because we have a lot to look forward to this month. You know, we've got the full moon on the 7th. We've got Yule on the 21st. Uh, we also enter Capricorn season on the same day. Uh, the new moon is on the 23rd. Um, we've also got, you know, Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa for those who celebrate. And of course, we've got the new year at the end of the month. Um, you know, if you've got kids in school, they're going to be home for holiday breaks. You may be traveling to spend time with family this month. There's always plenty of last minute shopping to do because one thing we love at the holidays is to spend money we don't have on crap that nobody wants. So I just, all of this is to say, I really appreciate that you're taking time out of this whirlwind of a month to hang out with me. I know there are a lot of demands on our time and it means a lot. So I wanted to start this episode with an email that I got after last week's episode on abundance and this which writes, uh, so I just finished listening to your episode on abundance magic and thankfully my coworkers don't blink when I talk to my computer because I yelled out the monkey's paw when you were speaking as to why some people may have issues with asking for abundance. Do you have any advice for someone who goes down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out how to word their wishes or desires impeccably so as to not be misunderstood or who are too afraid of accidentally causing harm? because I am that person. Um, okay, so for anyone unfamiliar with the short horror story, The Monkey's Paw, written by W.W. W. Jacobs and published in 1902, this is a classic three wishes cautionary tale where the maker of the wishes ends up paying an enormous price for trying to interfere with fate. Now, I, I hadn't read it since college, but it's one of those stories that sticks with you. Um, and it's, you know, it's really old. It's like 120 years old. So it's public domain now. So you can read it online and you should. It's pretty dark, but it's a cool one. Um, so I'm just going to give the Wikipedia synopsis here for the sake of brevity. Uh, the story involves Mr. and Mrs. White and their grown son, Herbert, a friend of the family, Sergeant Morris, who had served with the British Army in India, comes by for dinner one night and introduces them to a mummified monkey's paw. An old fakir had placed a spell on the paw so that it would grant three wishes, but only with hellish consequences as punishment for tampering with fate. Morris, having had a horrible experience himself using the paw, throws it into the fire but the skeptical Mr. White retrieves it. Before leaving, Morris warns Mr. White of what might happen should he use the paw. Mr. White hesitates at first, believing that he already has everything he wants, but at his son Herbert's suggestion, Mr. White flippantly wishes for 200 pounds, which will enable him to make the final mortgage payment for his house. The following day, Herbert leaves for work. That night, an employee arrives at the White's home, telling them that Herbert has been killed in a terrible machine accident that has mutilated his body. 
The company denies responsibility for the incident, but makes a goodwill payment of £200, the amount that Mr. White had wished for. A week after the funeral, Mrs. White, mad with grief, insists that her husband use the paw to wish Herbert back to life. Reluctantly, he does so, despite great unease at the thought of summoning his son's mutilated and decomposing body. Later that night, there is a knock at the door. As Mrs. White fumbles at the locks in a desperate attempt to open the door, Mr. White becomes terrified and fears that the thing outside is not the son he loved. He makes his third and final wish. The knocking stops, and Mrs. White opens the door to find that no one is there. So, like, pretty dark, right? You know, we can kind of see where the witch who wrote this email is coming from. Um, in that Abundance Magic episode, we talked a lot about how we are so good at getting in our own way when it comes to manifestations. Sometimes we are afraid to receive. So what I wrote back to this witch was this. The universe is not out to get us, but it will take the path of least resistance. So if we find ourselves hesitant to work manifestations, because we're, you know, concerned that our money spell might arrive in the form of a life insurance policy, for example, we just need to add a little addendum into our verbiage that our spell will manifest without harming anyone. And that really is all it takes. It is not bad or wrong to advocate for ourselves and ask for what we want and need. The universe is so bountiful. There is more than enough here for all of us. Please don't settle for less. Working magic on your own behalf isn't cheating. You will not be punished. But we have to get past those limiting beliefs and fears because that will stymie us. Ask for what you want, know that it will come to you, and accept it with open arms when it arrives. So that was her email. And if you have a question or a comment, a concern or a criticism, please write to me at... Eli at middleagedwitch.com. And now today I wanted to talk about casting a magic circle. I know this is basic rudimentary stuff and I understand that not all witches even bother to do this, but without putting anyone's business on blast, I have gotten a lot of emails and messages in the past couple weeks from witches who have been under serious psychological and metaphysical attack. Like an astonishing number of folks are writing to me about this kind of thing. Um, so I've just kind of felt impressed to sort of go back to basics a little bit and talk about casting a protective circle. There are a lot of folks just joining us and I don't want to assume anyone's knowledge base, but this can be an important first step for any kind of spell work um, and especially for protective spell work. Now, as I say every week, just because I do something a certain way, that does not mean it's the only way, and it doesn't mean it's the best way. There are a lot of ways to cast a circle, and any of them may work for you. I'm just going to go through some of the most common casting methods, and I'll talk about my preferred way. But mostly, the purpose here is to just get your own wheels turning. Maybe remove a little bit of the mystery of the process, and just sort of get you thinking about how you might adapt some of these methods in your own practice. That's all I ever hope to do is to make magic and spell work accessible. Now, the magic circle itself is something 
that's found worldwide in almost every magical tradition. The purpose varies a little, but whether a witch is casting a circle to keep unwanted entities out or to consecrate a space before beginning a ritual, the circle itself is cast to demarcate or establish magical boundaries. That is literally the entire point of casting a circle. We are defining a liminal space. Everything that happens inside this space is magical and sacred and special. Whatever happens outside the circle is, I don't know, not my problem. So let's start with a couple basics. First, do we always have to cast a circle every time we perform magic? Now, I'm a little bit of a nonconformist when it comes to this, but I don't always cast a circle each and every time I use magic. I would be casting circles all the goddamn time, and I'm a little bit lazy. But truthfully, if you're maintaining good spiritual hygiene in your home, it just isn't always necessary. And by that I just mean if you lay and maintain solid protective wards around the perimeter of your home or your living space, it could be your apartment or just your bedroom if that's primarily where you do work, then for most purposes, that's all the protection that you need to worry about when working most of your spells. Now, if I am working an especially large or complex spell, um, and especially if I am performing protective magic, and every time if I am summoning any kind of an entity, then I will absolutely cast a circle. My magic is invitation only. I do not want any freeloaders or party crashers to get curious and come too close and infiltrate my space when I'm trying to cast those kinds of of rituals or spells. And then a follow-up to that question is this. If we are going to cast a circle for our ritual, when do we need to cast it? You know, at what point in the process? I will typically do this after I've gathered up everything that I'm going to need and I place it inside the space that I'm going to be using. Casting a circle is pretty much the first step of the spell proper. But once it's cast, we don't want to cross in and out of it. So we just want to make sure that we have all of our stuff inside before we begin. So make sure you've got your matches, your writing implements, any books or written resources that you're going to need to refer to, all of that. Casting the circle is like preheating the oven for your recipe. So you've got to gather your ingredients, then cast the circle, and then proceed with the rest of your ritual. Next, how big should a circle be? It doesn't matter. In Wiccan tradition, a circle is usually nine feet in diameter for most purposes, but if you're not a Wiccan or if nine feet won't work for some reason, then a circle really only needs to be large enough to fit yourself and whatever materials you're working with. If you're working with other witches, obviously your circle should be big enough to accommodate them too, but your circle will work for its intended purpose no matter how big it is or isn't. Now, with that said, you can certainly use the power of numerology when casting your circle, if space allows and if you're inclined to do so. So, you know, if you're working like, 
a spell for money and you have the space to cast a seven-foot circle, then it would absolutely behoove you to do so. But again, this is a choice. It is not strictly necessary. Um, What happens if your cat or dog infiltrates the circle while you're working? Nothing. Nothing will happen. Animals, and in particular our own pets, are completely innocent. They do not come bearing any ill will. They are not going to bring anything with them into the circle that we need to worry about. The only caveat to allowing an animal to come and go in the circle is if it becomes a safety hazard. You know, we witches, we love burning candles and sigils, incense, cauldrons, and we don't want our animal friends and family to catch fire or to get tangled up in an altar cloth or to eat an offering or knock over the ritual wine or anything of the sort. So if you can, maybe perform your work behind a closed door so that your animals won't be tempted to come in and interfere in that way. But if they won't tolerate a closed door, and Lord knows my boy Johnny hates a closed door, there is no need to worry about them contaminating a sacred space. Um, Another question that I am sometimes asked is, what should I use to create my circle? Um, You know, should I use salt? Should I use stones? Should I just use my own energy? And the answer to that question is that it really just depends. If you have salt, use salt. If you have stones, use stones. If you can't cast a conspicuous circle because you're not practicing openly, then by all means, use your own energy. As with all things in witchcraft, we should always use what we have on hand first and foremost. Don't buy materials to cast a circle if it isn't something that you can afford to do. It won't work any better if you used expensive Himalayan salt versus regular old table salt. And then beyond that, we should use what we feel called to use. If I'm performing a spell for love or romance, I might use rose petals. If I'm performing work to open roads or create opportunities, I might cast a salt circle and then add some bay leaves to the perimeter. If I'm setting a hex, I would use salt with dill. If I'm breaking a hex, I'd probably use salt and basil. If I'm performing magic for intuition, I would probably use seashells. You know, you could use candles to set your circle. You could use incense to set your circle. You could use leaves or tarot cards or crystals. If you're working with a coven to cast this circle, you can simply arrange yourselves in a circle with one person in the center to perform the ritual. But you really can also just use your own energy to do this. And now for the business of how to actually do the casting of the circle. And once again, before we launch into this, remember, this is just how I do it. You may have learned to do it differently, and that is totally valid. You will also want to figure out exactly how you want to word this. It is completely individual, and you're going to have to spend a little time deciding what you want to say. The only right way to do anything is to do the way that works for you. So first things first, draw your circle out on the ground using whatever method you chose. Um, Don't use salt outside, please. You will kill the grass forever. But other than that, place your crystals or whatever you're using in in the form of your circle. 
make sure that all your spell making supplies are inside of it, and then consecrate it. I begin by invoking my guides to join me in the circle. And then I will move all the way around the perimeter of the circle from the starting point of my circle uh, while I call upon the spirits of the cardinal directions. So I'm going to go to the northern more, northernmost point of my circle and I will call upon the north, which is the spirit of the earth. Then I move clockwise to face east uh, where I will call upon the spirit of air, then to the south, which is the spirit of fire, and then finally west, which is the spirit of water. Admittedly, my methods were in part originally inspired by the seminal 1996 film The Craft, and that is a decidedly Wicca-inspired way to cast a circle. But I was in high school in the 90s, and we were all inspired by that movie, so there is no shame in my game. Now, I don't use the specific invocation that they wrote for that scene. I do have my own, but the roots are there because it works and it has worked for me for many, many years. And I'll be damned if I'm going to change it now. Anyway, while you're performing this function and while you're calling the corners and you're raising this energy, you're drawing in all of this magic, you're going to feel it. It's the coolest sensation. To me, for me, it kind of feels like static electricity on my skin a little bit, but however you experience it, you're going to know it. It makes the process feel really special and it truly makes your space feel set apart and sacred. So then you do your thing in your circle, complete your ritual or your spell, and then once you're done, close your circle. I do this by walking the perimeter of the circle once again, counterclockwise this time and thinking and dismissing the spirits of the cardinal directions and for me that's all there is to it so i hope this has been helpful if you're a witch who is not of the wiccan persuasion um, and also if you're a solitary practitioner you've maybe not seen it done or you've maybe not done it yourself and this is one of those things that doesn't get explained too often because I don't know, I think a lot of us assume, you know, oh, everyone knows how to do that. We don't want to tell people stuff they already know, but yeah, that's not cool. That's a blind spot for us, and we need to make sure that we don't make those kinds of assumptions because we are all on different points in our path, and we've all got to, you know, we all want to get to the end together. So have a fantastic December. We will talk again next week. Oh, if you would like a written transcript of this or of any episode, you can find them all on the website, middleagedwitch.com. My name is Eli Rowe, and this has been the Middle-Aged Witch Podcast. content of this podcast is not a substitute for direct, personal, professional, mental, or medical health care and diagnosis. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only.